Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and also the Merrimack Valley, 980 AM WCAP and 95.9 FM WATD in Marshfield. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial. We've got offices in Marshfield and Chelmsford, Mass. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, my guest this morning has is a veteran of uh, McNamara on Money. I've known you for several years now, Bernadette. I, I think first baby. So really? 10, ten, ten, I think ten. ten. My oldest is 10. Yeah, really? Close to 10. Has it been 10? 10, yes. Um, so my, my uh, guest this morning is Bernadette Faulkner, who's a specialist in long-term care insurance and also life insurance planning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Very happy to be I've here. Nice you, to see you. Nice to see you. I've known you 10 years. I, well, so it's We were connected by a mutual. Maybe, friend, maybe it's right. 8, 9. Okay. It, it's close to 10. Push yeah. 10. Anyway, so I know you, and you've been on the show several times. Time flies. In the past, time does fly. Um, what we wanted to talk about this morning is we're calling this the the we had a fancy title the changing um, the the changing. I didn't hear the title. No, now I'm I had a, I had a lovely title, and of course I didn't write it down. Um, the changing landscape of that's exactly what it was. The changing landscape of long term care, care insurance. Planning. That's right, long term care planning. That's a better title. Yes, thank you. And so um, we're going to get into some details, and we'll have some uh, conversa- conversations about long term care um, itself and costs associated with all that. But yeah, I think what I kind of wanted to focus on today was what seems.
seems to me that the that there's been a shift in the insurance world, as there are insurance products that help people pay for long-term care services if they purchase the ins- insurance in advance. And it just seems to me like there's a shift in that interest industry in terms of um, the popularity of the types of products that people are looking to purchase um, in order to cover this need. So um, the changing, that's what it was, the changing landscape of long-term, long-term care planning. Care planning Perfect. Insurance. Love yep. it. Love it. Um, so again, thanks for being here. This is Bernadette Faulkner, and um, she's a specialist in the insurance industry. And we just wanted to talk about, um, you know, people's, I guess, the importance of planning for long-term care, uh, maybe share some experience that we've had with with clients, um, and also talk about people's um, option, the options that people have when it comes to planning for this in advance. A lot of people have known uh, family members, parents, aunts, uncles, um, siblings that have needed long-term care and have seen firsthand how assets can be depleted quite quickly as um, the cost of care is expensive or can be expensive. And um, people should know that there are ways to plan for this in advance. And so that's why we're here this morning. Um, so I think where we wanted to start the show, which was actually your suggestion, is kind of just, you know, we don't need to get into too many statistics, but why it's important for people to plan for long-term care, because it's more, I guess, unfortunately, it's, well, unfortunately, it's more common than people think, but what that means is that people are living long lives. I mean, this is, people are living longer than historically they have, and and that translates in some cases to people needing assistance with activities in their life. Um, so I think, depending on how you look at that, that can be a good thing, um, and also an unfortunate and thing when it comes to medical costs are going financial. up and yeah. up and up, and fewer people are being taken care of at home. Yeah, moving parents moving in with their children, etc. Yeah. Um, and yes, people are living longer. That's the good news. There's better medical advances in care, yeah. which means people decline more slowly. Yeah, all those things. Yeah, and, I, and anyone that um, I think is listening has seen it in either their own family or friends or neighbors. Um, you know, it's the reality. Of everyone's life today yeah. that they're going to experience it amongst people around them or family members. Um, do you want to take a quick opportunity just to do, give a little background? You've been in this industry a number of years and contact information and things like that for our listeners. Sure, absolutely. Um, my my background is in financial services in general, and I was in the, the, the bigger world of financial services for about 20 years with Fidelity Investments, et cetera. I started in – it took some time off to raise my kids. Yeah. I started in the insurance area about – 10 plus years ago. Um, And uh, I decided I wanted to have my own business, number one. And number two, I wanted to specialize in an area and really dig in versus what you do, Alyssa. You know, the bigger picture, strategic, advisory, planning, etc. I tend to end up being on a team rather than being the lead like you are in managing people's money. Um, Honestly, my first experience with long-term care insurance was with my own mother. I got insurance for her. I saw how it worked. I saw, you know, the process of getting it was not easy. And I, she used every penny of it and more. And I became a big fan from a personal experience. That's what my clients tell me all the time, too. Yeah. Sometimes the first time they sit down with me, they say, I'm here because my mother, my father, my sister, my husband. So I find that the people that want to look into what they can do to plan in advance for 
for someone needing long-term care, the people that look into it and are the most serious about potentially purchasing an insurance product that will help them pay for it in the future are the people that have seen it firsthand. Right. The people that haven't seen it firsthand are kind of like, eh, maybe that won't happen to me, or I don't want to think about that right now, or... Um, Maybe they don't understand the the, the uh, costs associated with it. All of that. Yeah. All of that. So just before we dive in, yeah. given that, um, that, you know, so that whole introduction, how do you address this with your clients who are 45, 50, 55, who you are managing their entire retirement planning advisory yeah. situation? I'm sure... It's on the list of things to talk about at some point with retirement planning. What, what, it, do, you, what do you say? It's on. Well, it's on my list, and the time at which I approach it with a client is uh, differs based on age, circumstances in life, um, ability to pay for, ability to even you know have the the extra cash flow to plan for it in advance. So I bring it up at different stages based on when I think it's appropriate to bring it up, um, and sometimes I bring it up knowing that it's probably not a good fit for them anyway, but we're just going to have the conversations so that they, you know, are aware and can make their own choices. But, um, you know, I, I bring it up and, you know, when I, when I meet someone new, one of the first questions I'll ask them is, you know, what insurance policies do you carry? It's not often that I meet someone that already has the insurance, but yeah, here and there, someone that works for uh, maybe a large employer and it was a perk uh, or a benefit and it's not incredibly common, I don't think, but not anymore. Um, okay. And yeah, so once in a while, I'll meet someone that has already purchased it. Um, but I'm just, you know, what, what's your plan? We let's, let's talk about what, you know, what is, how are we going to plan for if you, or if I'm talking to a couple, um, if one of you is to need care in the future. And quite honestly, some people don't know that there are insurance policies that exist that mm. they can purchase, um, for this purpose. So sometimes that's even a surprise. Oh, there's an insurance product for this. Like some people just don't know that that's out there. Sure. Um, everyone knows life insurance is out there and most people know disability insurance is out there, you know, and, and of, of course homeowners and all these other um, types of insurances, but some people don't know that that's, that this sure. is an option. And it's an so. entirely different animal than other kinds of insurances. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when we talk about, you know, how are you going to plan for this? There's not a whole lot. I don't think that there's a whole, there's not a lot of options, I don't think, for planning. I mean, it, pretty much you either have sufficient assets where you can plan for it and just utilize your own assets. We call that self-insuring, right? Someone who has more, who has accumulated more than enough wealth or is projected to have accumulated more than enough wealth, um, you know, that then they'll need more that they'll then they'll need to fund their own retirement and and other such goals. Um, you know, someone like that can decide. Well, I don't need to purchase an insurance product. I have enough assets where I can pay for X number of years for care for either one of us out of my wealth. Um, and really, the other way to plan in, to plan in my mind is with an insurance product. And I guess the third way is a legal avenue. Um, but there just there aren't that. I just don't think there's that many ways to plan. And um, maybe you know, maybe you'll disagree, but I don't, I don't know if to be, maybe I'm like oversimplifying it, but you either have enough money where you can pay for it out of pocket if it happens or, um, you purchase some insurance or there are legal avenues you can pursue. And that's like a whole nother, we've done whole shows on that. We can touch on that today, but, and then I guess you're right. I'm forgetting the last one is to rely on if you don't have any, or if you don't have really any assets, or if you have very little assets, then relying on the state of Massachusetts in the form of Medicaid, um, 
to help with your care. I guess that's right. We can like go the through last that option. shortly. Yeah. But no, I mean, am right. I missing something? Like, no, I don't no, need... you're not. Yeah. And there's, there's a difference between planning for your own or your family, spouse's, parents, long-term care versus planning to buy long-term care insurance. Insurance is only one solution. Right. And it's not right for a lot of people. Yeah. I do think, and I, I always say this at the beginning, you know, of my meetings with clients, it's sort of motherhood and apple pie, but it's true. <laughs> insurance may not be a solution for you, but understand it's really important that you have a long-term care plan. Even if it's a vague general one, the yeah. plan might be, my kids are going to take care of me and I'm going to move in with them and they've, they've agreed to it. Um, the, the plan may be, I have so few assets, I'm going to qualify for Medicaid if I need care long term. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people will say to me, that's not ever going to happen to me. I'm, I'm going to, you know, be well and then die quickly. Yeah. That's not realistic, but, you know, if that's... Yeah. Other people say, and they really do mean it, my husband's going to take care of me, my wife is going to take care of me. They're thinking very singularly. That's okay. As long as you've at least faced some reality that, you know, there's high odds that you're going to need some care. So one of the things you said is that... You th- well, one of the things I thought you said was that you don't think the insurance is appropriate for a lot of people. I, and I guess in, in my world, I only I generally work with like a certain subset of the population. Right. So people right. that either have wealth, have inherited wealth or have accumulated wealth. And if they haven't accumulated wealth yet, they're very motivated. They're hardworking. They're they're looking to accumulate wealth. So the people I work with and I understand that it's a certain subset of the population that would seek out a financial advisor. The people that I work with, I think that long-term care insurance is appropriate for like more than half of them. And yes. and I'll tell them that. And there are some that I don't think it's appropriate for. But I, I again, just in my... Or some insurance. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Some insurance. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we're going to touch on that yeah, later in the show about the different options. And, yeah. That's sort of like why we're what brought us here right. today, that we were like, we want to focus on this other option that people have in the world of right. of long-term care insurance and what we think is a, is a great option and a, and a relatively new option. Um, and... and uh, these hybrid life long-term care policies, but we're, we're going to get to all those details. But I, like, if you think about the people that I work with and I'm my, my primary role is, you know, managing their assets, but also creating their financial plan and, and helping them work towards pulling off a, a financially successful retirement and building enough assets so that they can meet their financial goals. Like while you're doing that anyway, just building in the goal of, you know, being able to, place one of these policies and having um, having either the cash flow or having funded in advance this type of insurance so that you so that we've we've also covered this goal of being able to um, pay for someone if they need long-term care services is just something that we can build in and I build it into a lot of the financial plans that I do for clients whether they want to or not I'm kind of I'm, I'm generally running a model where I'm building that in where I think it's appropriate if you don't um, build in an insurance number do you build in a cost of care number yes you, you do we do okay so yeah and I generally run some sort of model like if someone either doesn't have the insurance or doesn't, or if they've said, I don't want to purchase the insurance. Again, some people will pursue a legal avenue. And that's, in my mind, that's not a complete solution, but um, a partial solution. And um, 
but yeah, I, I generally build in, uh, okay, well, let's see what how this affects your long-term plan and the size of your assets if you're going to pay for care out of pocket and out of your assets for X number of years. Yeah, those are variations of a model that um, that I'll run for someone that has decided, no, Good. this yeah. isn't right for me. And yeah. they should just know what the impact of it is. Um, so, I, I mean, I actually, I actually think this planning for the cost of long-term care. And I understand it's something that people plan for that might not come to fruition, right? They, they might they might never need care, right? Especially if I'm right. talking to a couple, one of them might uh, you never know, need and care. And not to be corny, but your house might never burn down. You ne- might never right. get in a car accident. Right. You might never have a catastrophic health care event yeah. where you need open-heart surgery. Yeah. You may never need long-term care. Absolutely. Right. And actually, that's, a, that's another reason that we're sitting here today because the whole changing landscape that is long-term care insurance has sort of addressed that. And now there are policies that, that I think um, eliminate the concern of, well, what if I purchase this insurance and I never use it, right? Because we're going right. to talk about these life right. life insurance, uh, what I call hybrid policies. Are they are they technically called hybrid policies? I call yeah. them okay. hybrid, hybrid or asset based or okay. linked benefits. Okay, so we're we're talking about these policies that that eliminate that concern, right? Because the this, the nature of these hybrid policies is that if you don't use the long term care benefits there's a death benefit. So there is a payout in one fashion or another. And so I really like that aspect of them because it eliminates that concern of, well, what if I spend all this money on something and I never use it? And Um, I have found that um, if you know the bigger picture, you being the advisor, someone's financial situation and their long-term goals, um, it pretty quickly falls into place which kind of insurance makes most sense. Yeah. You just have to dig into the people's um, financial situation and their goals to have that happen. Um, Do you, do you have any um, statistics with, you came very prepared. You have lots of papers. I I thank you for that. So do you have any, or in your discussions with clients, like I hate to focus so much on statistics, but they are important, I think, in well, this conversation. It's, it's the beginning. You know, I think I said to you earlier, when you just start talking about the, the insurance solutions products, it's like jumping into the deep end of the pool. If you don't have context, there's no way you can make a decision. Right. So I do have statistics. I have a few important ones. I could bury you in them, but there's yeah. a few important ones, I think, that are worth mentioning that should start stimulating the thinking for people of, you know, why why would I plan for this? What are the odds it's going to happen to me? Well, yeah. it's easy to figure out the odds. The insurance companies have been tracking this for more than decades. Medicare and Medicaid, the federal government, since they started Medicare and Medicaid, have been tracking what is going on and how often people are needing different medical services, including long-term care. So basic statistics, everybody agrees on them. The insurance companies, um, the government, 70% of people who are over age 65 today, 65 or over, are going to need some kind of long-term care. Okay. And long-term care, the way they define it is uh, um, if you need... They call it custodial care for more than six months. That's long-term care. Acute care is when you're in the hospital. Yep. These are medical terms, mostly, yep. but the insurance companies use them too. If you're in an acute care situation, your health insurance covers it. You're in the hospital, you're having a procedure, et cetera, et cetera. If you need rehabilitative care, you've had a hip replacement, you've had open heart surgery, and you need rehab to get better, 
That's that's called rehabilitative care. Okay. Your medical insurance will cover that. When you're a senior, Medicare will cover that. Yeah. Um, long-term care is called custodial care yeah. in the medical world, and that means you need to be taken care of, and you're not getting better. That's basically what it means. And health that, insurance. That you're de- not, yeah. that zero, not a penny of it with private health insurance, not a penny of it with Medicare is covered. Pe- that's a big shock to a lot of people. Yeah. People on the younger end of things think once they're on Medicare, Medicare is going to pick up. Right. Medicare pays zero long-term care. And so what we and, – and in the insurance world, they have these things that they call activities of daily living. And actually, those activities of daily living, I've seen them in the tax code. Oh, they're, it, they're, they're, they're across the board used in yeah. um, the government, yeah. private insurance companies, everywhere. In the, sure, in the tax code. Yeah. Absolutely. So – we're, so for so custodial that, so care, we're talking about, go ahead. I might jump back to a few more statistics. So 70% of people are going to need some sort of care, custodial care. And that, and by, and I just wanted to clarify that that 70% of people over 65, people over today, 65, that does not include people that have like a short term no, rehab stay. No, no, like no you that's mentioned. not rehab. Okay. That's Cause I feel like care. the old, the, I feel like I just remember old statistics that were including those like short term. I nope, had a hip replacement. Nope. I need it. Okay. Nope, but it nope, doesn't include co- that. That's all considered rehab. So that is completely covered by your insurance, private insurance or Medicare. So that's 70. Um, So 70%. Interesting to just split that up a little bit. 80% of women, 60% of men. Okay. So So it is a lot of men. It's a high percentage of men. It's a high percentage of men, but it's a much higher percentage of women. Right. And you can imagine the classic scenario, particularly with couples, women live longer. Yeah. Um, They have slower um, illnesses. And oftentimes they um, they take care of a spouse, mm-hmm. and um, and then they get weaker. Who don't, who yeah. Men's illnesses tend to be shorter, um, etc. They've aged, they've depleted assets, and they're women, and um, their illnesses tend to be longer. Okay. So eighty percent of women are going to need long, and they're alone. Um, they don't have a family member taking care of them. They don't have a spouse. Because generally or their spouse has They're either widowed um, or they've never yep. married. Or they, yep. So there's not a, another – women are the caretakers. Right. Um, the average length of time you might need care. I mean, if you were trying to calculate how much might I need to yeah. put in my financial plan, you'd, you know, you'd certainly consider your odds, but you'd look at the odds of, you know, how long typically does someone need care. Yeah. It's somewhere between two and a half and four years, believe it or not. Oh, it it's is. a lot of, so, yes. Yeah. Once you're in that I need care category, it's somewhere between two and a half and four years on average. That's an average. If you have Alzheimer's, it could be seven or eight. If you have a shorter, quicker decline, it could be one year. But on average, two and a half to four years. So if you were trying to sort of sort out how much should I put in my financial plan if I'm typical, if I'm average... Uh, you would probably plan for, you know, two and a half to three years of care. Cost that out and say, this is, I either, you know, need to know that I might spend this and I can afford it or think of some other options, a family member, insurance, et cetera. Now, in those statistics regarding length, average length that someone might need care, those statistics really can only be generated based on someone needing care in 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 a, Outside of the home, no, right? No, actually, because, those are fully... Oh, how, comp- do they, they, well, the, how do they... How do they... The insurance companies... The government been, knows everything. The yeah. actuarials yeah. and the private companies, you know, this is their business. The, yeah, okay, so it does include of, care at home. Well, yes, okay. and private companies, long-term care insurance covers care anywhere. Right. But the majority of it is used for home care. 
Right. People choose to stay. Of home. course. Yeah. So the government and, and Medicare and Medicaid do provide some services at home when you're in um, rehab care. So the, the government has been tracking this information in insurance companies for many, many, many decades. Okay. They do know. Yeah. So that okay. average does include home care. And remember, when someone gets into a, a custodial care, a long-term care situation, it's not, I'm completely well, living my life at 100% to a nursing home. There's a slow decline. So right. people start at home. They might spend a year or two needing a little care, a little more, a little more. Then they need professionals coming in. So they oftentimes will move to assisted living for a while. Sometimes it's as a couple. Sometimes it's an individual after they've been wid- widowed. And then at the end, sorry to use you know sort of such a graphic um, picture, but at the end, you when you need really high levels of care, you're in a nursing home. So the long-term care need of two and a half to four years likely means some time at home, yeah, some time in assisted living, and some time in a nursing home. That two and a half year statistic has been around for a long time, but I feel like the original statistics I had ever seen, and this has got to be going back 8, 10, 12 years, was such that that two and a half year average did include like really short-term stays in for rehab, for rehabilitative reasons. So it's actually nice no, to see those statistics. None of that's It's nice there. to see those broken out in two and a half to and, four years. You know, so averages yeah. are a little dangerous to work with, but yeah. they're, they're, you need to use something like that for planning purposes. When I really dig in with a client, your own personal medical history and your family's medical history should play a part. Yeah. If you have, you know, a, a heavy um, family history of Alzheimer's, you have a much higher risk of needing extensive care. You just do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your personal situation, again, will dictate and refine what kind of a plan you might come up with. Yeah. So let's just, we have like another minute or so before we'll take a quick break. But um, let, if, let's just clarify that. So we talked about the options that people have purchasing if to, to fund long-term care. Options are paying with your own assets, purchasing an insurance policy, um, relying on family, as you mentioned, or relying on the government. The government. But l- let's just clarify this discussion and maybe direct it towards people that have assets because people that have wealth are not go unless they give their wealth away and do some legal planning and some people pursue this strategy, at least partially, uh, um, people that have wealth are not going to qualify for state assistance right. unless the wealth is almost diminished. Medic- it's Medicaid all the way, and you have to have zero, $2,000 in assets, actually. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Anyone that has any retirement savings, et cetera, um, is not going to re- um, qualify for Medicaid. Um, so, you know, of those four categories, family. There's only so much your family can do. Yeah. People start with family. It's usually a spouse. Nobody wants their kids to take care of them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, family's an option for a little while. The government is not an option for anyone that has any kind of um, wealth accumulated. Um, self-funding, paying from your own retirement savings. When we come back, let's talk about what it might cost in Massachusetts. Yeah, let's do that. And, yep. so, and then after that, we should talk about insurance options. If you're not going to pay for it yourself, how are you going to you know, move the risk to an insurance company and yep. have them pick up the tab? Love it. Okay. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by Bernadette Faulkner, insurance professional, and particularly in the realm of long-term care insurance. We're talking today about the changing landscape of long-term care planning. We're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. (laughs) 
And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed with McNamara Financial Offices in Marshfield and Chelmsford, Mass. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm chatting this morning with long-term care insurance and life insurance planning specialist Bernadette Faulkner. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to be here. Thank you. Um, And we're talking this morning about the changing landscape that is long-term care planning. So before we get into the details and sort of the nitty-gritty about the choices that people have if they decide to um, pursue insurance to cover uh, a long-term care need for themselves or for or for a spouse or a parent, I suppose. Um, let's. We wanted to kind of set the stage regarding, you know, just kind of back up a little bit. What are your options if if someone needs care? How do? What are the options for paying for it? And also, how much does it cost? So I think that's where we landed, sort of right before the break. And we were talking about. I know you have these conversations when you sit down to educate someone who's possibly considering purchasing the insurance about. Okay, well, if someone needs. What uh, what you were calling custodial care, so not medical care, but this Something is custodial care. Something that's not going to be covered by your private health insurance or by Medicare. Okay, that so you're paying for a hundred percent out of pocket. That's okay. really kind okay. of the easiest way to think of this. So and so, so maybe just giving so, so examples of that are you know ability to move about the house and feed well, yourself and get sure, dressed. When, you, and, when you're yep. getting older, well, the most obvious is if you start having cognitive issues, mm-hmm. memory issues, mm-hmm. and you need some supervision. Mm-hmm. You may not have any physical needs yet, but you might be leaving the stove on, et cetera. That's a custodial long-term care situation. All the way through in that in that situation to someone who's in advanced Alzheimer's, you need care. Yeah. Um, physically, when people start getting elderly, the ob- people need help getting dressed, walking, Bathing, bathing yeah. is one of the first things, and they just need some supervision. They they might have a fall. They can't drive anymore. They can't cook anymore. They have sight issues. They need some help. Yep. Just think of it as needing some some help. So we talked about the ways to fund that. Are you know so, some people have enough wealth where they could fund X number of months or years of this on their own? And we're going to go through some calculations in a moment. We talked about how the people that qualify for state assistance in the form of Medicaid are really the people that have no wealth. They have very little assets or they have spent down their wealth so that it's almost nothing. A married couple can only keep $120,000, I think, to their name or $127,000 for the at-home spouse. Um, but if it's a, but if you're talking about a single... For the- actual applicant to Medicaid, and they allow the spouse, if there's still a spouse in the situation, to keep 120000 So a spouse has to spend down money, too. Right. Even if you're a healthy. Right. Um, And so another option is to look into insurance products that cover if someone is to need long-term care, and we're going to get into those details today. But before we got there, before we get there, we wanted to sort of set the stage of, well, what does this potentially cost for people? There might be people out there that haven't had a personal experience with this um, and and haven't seen uh, costs associated with it. So there's all this research that's been done for years and years. And, and Well, these um, are very accurate numbers. Yep. Uh, their Medicare and Medicaid do the same sort of survey every year. Yeah, The numbers are very accurate. Genworth Financial is an insurance company that offers these products, and I think they do a better job of this survey because they present it online in a very user-friendly way. Okay. So I'd love to send this to my clients and say, just play around with this this app um, 
online. Yeah, so and for people that are listening, how can how can they get here though? So you sent me Google, the link. Just I'm I Google everything. I don't look you know look Google knows it. everything. Google knows it. Just Google Genworth, yep. which is the name of the insurance company, cost of care survey. Twenty nineteen. Well, not even that. It'll come up. up and you know, that that'll be the most recent one. It's an interactive okay. um, for those of you who are listening and not looking at this, it's an interactive app online where you can uh, put in any zip code or uh, county or state in the United States, and it'll immediately pull up what um, care costs on average. This last survey is um, just, uh, it's 2019, so it's actually 2018 numbers, okay. a little old, and it gives you what it costs to have a homemaker come into your home, someone who's unskilled that's just going to help out. All the way up to a nursing home cost. Okay. So uh, so I that's what you're looking at, Alyssa. Yeah. So I, in your right, Google first hit. I Googled Genworth cost of care survey, and the first hit was exactly what you sent me. So look at that. Thank you, Google. Pop right in there and scroll down a little bit and put in Massachusetts. I put just put in Massachusetts. All right. So I'm going to put in. Because I will note the the costs are hugely variable across the country. We could put in Florida, too, for a lot of those snowbirds. You know, New York would be the highest and someone like Iowa. But Florida's very, yeah, Florida's a, a lot of people My end ranger. up. Okay. So I put in, I just put in Massachusetts, and it says select cost by period. So I'm going to put in annual. I like well, to that's look the at scariest number. number. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I think you can know. wrap your head around that in an easy way. Yeah, you don't have to do any math really right. associated right. with. So if, if you need yeah. a year yeah. of care. Here's what it would cost in Massachusetts in 2019. Okay, so this was the 2019 cost of care survey, which is the most recent one that we yep. have. Yep. So annual median cost in Massachusetts for, so these are annual numbers. So for homemaker services, there's a little asterisk. So that means having it. an agency come in. Having an agency, it's okay. It's an agency person coming into your home. They're not, they have no medical training. They're coming in to do okay. sort of cooking, cleaning, um, assist general assistance. It's sort of the lowest level of care. Okay, and it does clarify that it's forty-four hours per week right. of a service to come yeah, in. It's not full time. So by let's, fifty-two let's, weeks. You know, let's say that's that's um, a lot of hours though. Six, six hours. Six a day. hours a day. Yeah, might be three in the morning and three in the evening. Okay, help you to get up, get dressed, eat, blah blah, do some housework, etc. Um, and, and you know, it's about the same cost actually for a home health aide, yeah, and those are that. people that are licensed to. Give, you know, manage your medication for you, help you take a shower. They're they're licensed to help you, you know, get into a wheelchair, things like that. So to have someone come into your home on an hourly basis. About six hours a day. Six hours a day for a year. $62,000. $62,000 to $63,000 per year on average in mass. And Alyssa, I would ask you to do the the inflated version of this, this is after-tax money. Ah, so fair enough. So you need to liquidate savings, so, pay taxes on them, so that you can pay this bill. All right, so if someone has only or primarily retirement assets, and it's not uncommon that people's largest um, amount of assets are, well, either tied up in their home or are in retirement accounts because right. they were tax efficiently tucking money like in a 401k, for example, yeah. for a long time. So to take $63,000 and pay income taxes on that, like right. if you're drawing it fully from a retirement account, of course, it depends on someone's tax right. bracket. To but net I'm gonna, 63. Yeah, to net 63. And I just used like total 30% in taxes, federal, state. Of course, the specifics depend on where your tax bracket falls in that year. But you'd have to draw about $90,000 from yeah. a retirement account 
if, to have someone to come in for 63. six hours a day and help. Yeah. Right. Fair enough. I like that. I mean, there, of course, if you have assets, either, you know, cash in the bank or non-retirement assets, or if you're pulling equity from your home um, to, to do this, and we can have lots of conversations about what's the right way to plan. And that's like probably a whole nother show, but, um, you know, can be more, a little bit more tax efficient than that. But still, but still usually taxes associated with grabbing money from somewhere, right. especially if it's in some, some sort of an investment portfolio. Um, okay, so so homemaker services and home health aid. So someone staying in home that doesn't need full time round the clock care, but you're looking sixty to sixty five thousand dollars per year. So then it goes on to say assisted living facility. I'm going to look at the little asterisk. So annual average cost in mass for someone to be in an assisted living private room, one bedroom, sixty seven thousand, almost sixty eight thousand dollars per year. And I call that room and board. People I, I think are familiar with assisted living facilities yep. now. They're usually little apartments. Yep. Sometimes they're just a single room with a bathroom. Yeah. But um, it's room and board. It's for your it's for your housing, for the unit, it's for all your food typically and it's for a few other services. They yep. have nurses on duty. There's no individual private care. If you need assistance bathing and dressing and things like that, they don't do that. Okay. But it's for your room and board and medical supervision, et cetera. Okay. So if someone does need more intense care, then you're looking at a they nursing would, home. Be- or they would have someone privately come in. People go into assisted living. This is not uncommon. And then they have a private pay person come in two hours a day to do the little extras. Okay, so you're look then you'd be looking at a combination of this assisted living at sixty five thousand home health aid plus a little bit of the homemaker services. If they really people really don't want to go into a nursing home. They want the independence of an assisted living. That's I, I see that a lot. Do assisted livings have like those people on staff? They have that, medical that, people. You, they're you know they're there to supervise. They don't yeah. do one on one bathing and dressing and feeding. They don't. And, you ha- you no. hire someone from an outside right. care. Right. That's the kind of care level of care you get in a nursing right. home. Okay. But not in an assisted living. Okay. So so assisted living with care though is with some sort of care services. You're probably talking eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand. Yes, okay. I would say most people in assisted living facilities don't need those services yet. Okay. Basically, people add that into assisted living when they want to keep at bay as long as possible moving into a nursing home, yeah. which is a very different environment. The So here's the big number. So private room in a nursing home on average in Massachusetts, and this was two years ago, was $158,000 per year. $13,000 a month-ish after taxes. $158,000. And that is no joke. I mean, these numbers are accurate. Yeah. Um, and this isn't even in the Boston area. This is Massachusetts this is on, on average. average. If you Can I put in, in Boston? Boston? Yeah, put in. Absolutely. I'm going to put in Boston. I would imagine it's higher than the average in Massachusetts. And then so put in Manhattan. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, okay, so a little bit higher. So if I put in Boston, Massachusetts, private room in a nursing home, $162,000 per year. So a little, a little bit higher than the average. Should we put in Manhattan? How about San Francisco, just for kicks? Sure. Manhattan. And then I do want to put in Florida because there's a lot of people in this area of the world no, that... No, Florida's less. No question about it. Yeah. San Francisco. I put in Manhattan. Oh, it's actually not all that much more than Boston. 161000 for a private room in a nursing home. But assisted living is much higher. 
at 83000 per year. See, that's interesting. It, in it, Manhattan you, versus Boston. It, the, the costs of care are all over the place, wow. all over the country. It, it uh, just depends on probably how many facilities are in the area and the demand for them and things like right. that. But let's put in, um, in like Naples seems to be a pretty popular Naples was very high-end area. A, you could just put in Florida on average. Yeah, okay. I put it, For a moment, I put in Naples. Let's do the same numbers in Naples. Actually, they're pretty com- They're pretty comparable. Um uh, average. Naples is a very wealthy area. So just put in Florida. Okay, I'll put in Florida. But I want to give the Naples numbers. Okay, do, oh, please. The Naples I'm numbers sorry. are actually pretty comparable so to, to Boston. Yep. Private, a little bit less. Private room in a nursing home in the Naples area, 142000 per year. Touch less than Massachusetts on average. Average assisted living annual is about 50000 per year. So a touch less, but yeah. not, not incredibly so. And actually, the homemaker services were roughly... A little bit less, fifty-seven thousand versus what was it, sixty-two thousand a year. So, so we've picked some in the of range. The, the most expensive places in the country to live. All right, I'll do Florida Boston, San Francisco, yeah. Manhattan, and Naples, Florida. Yeah, way up there. But just do Florida so, on average. Yeah, you're right. Florida on average, which would include some of the not the not uh, not the coastal areas in Florida, but some of the um, in more rural. inland areas, yep. R- rural. Yep. So average cost for a private room in a nursing home in Florida on average is $112,000 per year. Still almost well, 10000 a month. 10000 a month. Yeah. It's still about 25% less, right? But the number is staggering. Okay. So for the people, so when I do, you know, there are people that say, you know, I have sufficient assets that I can pay for this out of my assets. Um, I'm not going to pursue long-term care. Either they couldn't qualify or they don't believe in insurance or they don't, they think it, the cost is too high. Um, so when I'm doing some modeling, I have been using like a three-year average for um, one, and generally I just model one, if I'm working with a couple, one member of that couple needing care for about three years. Um, so, you know, if they are intend to be in this area of the world, I've got to be using numbers See, in $150,000 per year well, range for say, nursing home yeah. or you, ble- or probably what's more accurate is, you know, the, you do like a year of home care at exactly. 60, 70,000, exactly. you do the second year of assisted living at 80,000 exactly. and then you do a third year of nursing home at 140,000. That's a very rational. That probably blends to like a hundred, that probably blends to a hundred a year. Or three hundred k total. Yeah, after, uh, after taxes. taxes. Yeah. Okay. So then the, that's you know, great. I haven't looked at these numbers in a, in a couple of years, so that's great to have a refresher on those. And you know, the the one of the obvious questions at that point is to say to someone, "Is are you okay? If you end up needing care, you may not. Yeah. The odds are high, but you may not. Of course, if you end up needing care, are you okay liquidating up to a half a million dollars of your portfolio to yeah. pay for it? Yeah. Some people will say, yes, I'll take my chances. People that yeah. don't care about leaving a legacy don't have kids. Right. Their kids are doing so well that it's they have no concerns about it, et cetera, et cetera. Say, yeah, I'm a, if, you know, if the odds are against me and it happens, I'll pay for it. Um, great, you have a plan. Yeah. You know you can pay for it and you will pay for it. When people really come down to having to think about, do I feel okay about spending a half a million dollars after taxes or uh, before taxes on long-term care rather than leaving it as a legacy or leaving it for a spouse, et cetera, then the decisions get more um, unclear and, you know, they need to work with an advisor or someone to think it through and make a decision. Um, I had a conversation recently with a client who has um, 
accumulated a fair amount of wealth, largely in retirement assets, in one member of the couple's name. That member of the couple was the working member of the couple who contributed to the 401k and the other member of the couple was at home with the kids, whatever. So, and, the, and I don't think this is incredibly uncommon for, right. pe- for people that are now in their 60s and 70s, right? That, that generation. So this particular couple, we, we've been having these conversations. This particular couple um, does have children, but their children are successful in their own careers and have, you know, starting to build their own wealth. And so they're not as concerned about leaving a legacy to their kids. But what my concern for them has been is that um, the, the, the person whose name the retirement assets are in, is for medi- because of medical history and things like that, is probably the more likely to need long-term care services. Because you can kind of factor in health history and make, Absolutely. make, make a no, guess. Like, like if it's more likely to happen to one member of the couple, like factor that history in, right? Absolutely. That's an important factor. It's a qualitative one, but it's important. Okay. So for this particular couple, we did have the conversation regarding um, the last minute. So so let's, so for example, this particular person can't uh, obtain long-term care insurance. It's okay. So the, the spouse who the has spouse, all the retirement assets. Right. right. The spouse who has all the assets is in his name qualify. is not going to qualify right. for long-term care insurance. So we had this so I guess bring that up. Not everyone qualifies for the long-term care insurance, right? So, it, of course, it's underwritten and, and medical history is factored in. But anyway, I'm launching into this because I want to. I think it's going to make a point, obviously. So this, we, we had this discussion um, with the client's attorney regarding um, the last-minute planning that people can do if that member of the couple is to need um, long-term care services and what they can do at the last minute to try to qualify for Medicaid. And okay, oh, okay, good. And I was just going to say, so like we've already determined that at their level of assets now, they don't even come close to qualifying for Medicaid because, as we discussed earlier, you have to have very little assets. I can't wait even, to hear this answer. Okay, so but what? But <laughs> Honestly, but what we talked about is that because so there so I guess I'll back up a second. So we talked about how in order to qualify one spouse for Medicaid, which is the state assistance for long-term care services, the other spouse can only have 120000 ish dollars of assets yeah. in their name. But that at-home spouse can have monthly income in his or her name. Okay, right. That's a higher amount. So what some people do at the last minute, do they call it urgent and, planning or last minute planning yeah. or whatever? And there's commercials on TV for these, yeah. you know, attorneys that'll do this last yeah, minute planning for you. You just had an Alzheimer's diagnosis. Um, it's very early, but you know the road ahead. Right. So so what um, some of the last minute planning you can do is converting assets into income mm-hmm. in the form of annuitization. Right. And you can do that for the, what we call the at-home spouse. Or the- but the conversation we had was, well... The spouse who likely who is likely to need care, all the assets are in his name in retirement assets. So to convert that into an annuity income stream for in, the in someone spouse else's name means liquidating it. Yeah, and paying a whole bunch of taxes if it's a really sizable chunk of money. Yes, in potentially one year in order to get this person qualified for Medicaid. So we were thinking ahead, like. Okay, yeah, there's some advanced planning that you will, you know, will be able to do at the time, but think about the taxes involved to make that conversion. And so we so we ended up pursuing a strategy where over time because he um, because this person doesn't need care right yeah, now, it's like years down the road, yeah. but we're thinking maybe um, 
we're going to take the next however many years we have to start slowly converting retirement dollars to non-retirement dollars and then and paying some taxes at a lower bracket versus Uh liquidating it all in one year or potentially two years if you're, you know, toward the end of the year or whatever. But just like just something to for people to think of, because I think that, you know, there are attorneys and not a great solution, but it is a solution. And it, 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 you know, it, it will protect some of their money. But right. It's not a. If you think about the tax yeah. implications of, in this example, where someone has a significant amount of retirement assets, the tax implications of that, if you're doing it in one year, right. is very right. significant. So this, this is so planning. This, this is, is yeah. This is planning. This is planning, and it's based on health conditions, which is smart. Right. He's. It sounds like he's not ill now, but the likelihood right. is that he is. Right. So I forget why I launched into that. But anyway, that was food for thought. Why did I launch into that, Bernadette? Because um, we were talking about, I don't know, I planning. don't know. I'm anyway, sure something This is a good example. Dif- I thought that was a good example. Different strategies. Something um, smart. All right. So. So cost of care. So, okay. Yeah. So I think we've identified cost of care and, and that, and, oh, I think we launched into that because I was talking about building it into someone's retirement plan, right? Right. And being able to. Um, you know, is, you know, you can hopefully you have a retirement plan put together. And if you decide not to pursue insurance or, it's, you know, you can't qualify for it in this example, what are your other courses of action, whether it's last minute planning in the form of what we just talked about or whether it's, you know, does this person just have enough money to just self fund? And well, and, and I think uh, that some of your point was given the, the specifics of this couple, you know, very high level of savings for the spouse that's likely to need care no savings for the spouse spouse that doesn't, that spouse that's likely to need care is going to have to spend down that entire pool. He might have a million dollars, you know, yeah. who knows, in savings and retirement accounts. That is going to have to be spent all the way down right. before he can get on Medicaid. And the healthy spouse is likely to outlive him quite a bit is basically going to be broke. Okay, that thank you. That's exactly why I launched into that yeah. because that was an example of – you know, in general, I they think... They have a lot of money, but they are in a very right. vulnerable position because of how it is set up and how people's health is. That's why it's always a very specific situation you need to be addressing like that. Right. You need to know people's assets, whose names it's in, whether it's in retirement accounts or not, and what their health history is. Yeah. That all comes together with someone like you to say, okay... There were 25 options on the table. Now I know, based on what I know about you, there's really only four. Let's talk about those. Yeah. And and this is an example of someone who, like, in general, I think the people that I would recommend look into long-term care are the people that want to preserve their assets for their kids, right? The people that have no kids. I, You know, we had the conversations about, you know, can it, I, 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 people, generally speaking, want to pursue this insurance, I think, and where I think it's very appropriate is for the people that are doing it for their kids. People don't really do this for themselves. Or this, they, you know, I would say first for your spouse. In that situation, the, right. that healthy right. um, spouse, in this case the woman, if she's going to be in a very vulnerable financial situation, if and when her, her spouse passes away, long-term care insurance or some kind of insurance to take care of her when she needs it is right. really important. Right. I, that's where I was going with that exactly, that this is an example of someone who they do have kids, but they're not as concerned about them financially and preserving their assets for their kids. But where the other spouse, there's a huge risk for the other spouse. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the thing that I hear from my clients most consistently, majority of the time, why are you looking into this? First, it's usually because something happened to my mother, sister, neighbor, et cetera. But secondly, I don't want to leave my spouse broke. 
and I don't want my children to take care of me. Yeah. On the taking care of me, they're thinking of the physical. I don't want my children to physically have to take care of me. On the financial, they say, I don't want to leave my spouse broke. Yeah. Can we talk about, um, for a moment, um, domestic partners that aren't married? Because um, No problem. Is, um, yeah. The insurance companies, for the most part, look at domestic partners, whether it's um, a single-sex couple, domestic partners. If you've been living together for two years, they consider you a married couple. They will insure you as a married couple. Okay. That matters because you can get insurance discounts yeah. if you're in the married category. However, but what works oh. for people that are domestic partners and not married is that currently, at least under current state law, the state of Massachusetts does not look at that domestic partner's assets when one partner is applying for Medicaid, okay. which works to the advantage yes. of domestic partners that aren't married. I, I've just come across a few couples in recent um, in the recent past that aren't, you know, they're, you know, later in life got together, maybe second, you know, relationship or whatever, and, and, you know, aren't currently married, thinking about getting married. And we're kind of talking through the financial ramifications of that. And the one thing I bring up is from a a long-term care perspective and preserving assets of, you know, preserving one person's asset actually works to their benefit to not be married. When you tie the, tie the knot, you tie your assets up in each other's Right. Outcomes. When it comes, when it comes yeah. to Medicaid. Yeah. And I'm sure there's yeah. more than a few people that don't get married just for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I, sometimes I wonder if state law will start to recognize common law marriages or whatever for this purpose, you know, because that's... Um, They'd have a hard time... Enforcing it, I guess. Well, yeah, tracking it down, right? There's no paper trail. But anyway, yeah. when you're married, yeah. there's a legal document. When you're not married, there's nothing. Right. But anyway, anyway, yes. under current law, this sort of it, these uh, people work to their benefit, like especially if their social security incomes are roughly the same. You know, sometimes there's a financial reason for them to get married too. Like one of them has a small social security and the other one has a large one, and that you know the the, the married benefits in the social security social security administration are uh, are attractive. But um, what works to their benefit is if if one of them needs to apply for Medicaid, the other spouse's assets are not at risk. So, right. And the one, yeah. you know, we jumped into on and off Medicaid. I'll mention one other thing about Medicaid. Yeah. Um, Medicaid considers your home an asset. Yeah. And they will, if you're, if you're single, you do have to liquidate your home before you can qualify. If you're married and one spouse needs to apply for Medicaid, they would never kick anyone out of their home. You, the well spouse can stay in the home. The unwell spouse might go to a nursing home. Medicaid would pay for it if you qualified. But after that spouse passes away and after you pass away, they retroactively come back to be reimbursed with, they from that asset. They put a lien on the property. They put a lien on the property. They, they eventually look to get their money. They'd never kick anyone out of a home, yeah. et cetera. But they will, after the, the, these people involved are deceased, come after the estate. Yeah. So that's not a strategy to yeah. protect your home. Uh, however, what what does protect the equity in the home is carrying a long-term care insurance policy. Because under mass state law, if you carry a policy that meets minimum requirements, which are pretty minimal, right? Yeah, it's a very then, small policy. That's the right. State. That's right. Um, if you eventually, if you had a, a very small long-term care policy and you eventually needed to apply for Medicaid. Um, Medicaid will not look at your home as an asset. They basically ignore it. Up to $750,000 is the number today. Yeah. They take that whole asset off the table and, and consider it a zero asset. 
and they won't come after it. And that's only only if you have a policy. And the rationale, you might say, you know, what the heck does that mean? Why would they do that? Medicaid systems all over the country are run by at a state level. Every state has their own little quirks as to how they approach this. But they want to incentivize people to get insurance because yeah. if you have some long-term care insurance, the insurance company is going to pay the bills first, and Medicaid is going to save money. Right. So they want to incentivize people to put it on the insurance company, not on the Medicaid system. Right. It makes so a there's lot of a little sense. there's a reward. There's a benefit. Right. right. Um, all right. Let's just let's take a quick break, and after the break, I want to get into. I would love to get into the specifics regarding the insurance products. The insurance products. Right. You kind of set the stage a little bit about um, the need and the cost surrounding uh, long-term care services, but we do want to talk about the, the actual uh, options. The actual options for the insurance options and how and how this. I think this industry has evolved um, in the last ten or fifteen years, and probably will continue to evolve. And uh, what people's options are for um, choosing an insurance product to. Um, or insure this risk. That's what insurance is. Right. Um, it's shifting risk to uh, someone else. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm joined this morning by Bernadette Faulkner, long-term care and life insurance planning specialist. And we're talking about the changing landscape of long-term care planning. And uh, we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. 